Good morning to each one of you. As we turn to hear from God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin helps us to do just that. Let's read it together. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. This morning we'll be concluding our sermon series through the book of Colossians and uh, these final verses in chapter 4 are um, Paul's greetings, his personal greetings to uh, those at, uh, the, the Christians at Colossae. And before I read them, let's go ahead and begin our uh, time this morning with prayer. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We further pray these things in Jesus' mighty and merciful name. Amen. This, uh, these final verses here are taken from Colossians 4, verse 7. Let me read them to you. Uh, Nancy came to me this, this early last, this past week, and usually the person who does the summons of the word also reads the, the sermon text, as you, uh, as, you, as you well know. And she said to me, do you want the person to have to pronounce all of these names? <laughs> and I thought, well, that would be a great sort of just put them on the spot, you know, put them in the hot seat and see how they do. And I said, no, let's, let's go ahead and pass, and I'll go ahead and read the text this morning. But, um, you know, I just said, the, the, the way that you say these names, you just say them with authority. You know, you don't have to actually know how, how it's pronounced. You just say it, say it confidently. Um, and we used to say that in the Air Force. You don't actually have to know what you're talking about. Just say it with authority, and you'll be fine. Uh, let's read these words together. This is a, this is a, these, these closing words, it's easy to sort of like dismiss them as sort of like uh, adiaphora, they're just sort of, ah, just some words, random people. But, th- but these final verses reveal that, that Paul wasn't just some theologian. He wasn't just some guy writing, you know, letters to random people. That actually Paul and the early church were a community a tight-knit community like no other. And it's just, it's beautiful to actually know actually quite a bit about the various persons that are named here. And it's so beautiful to see how Paul, in the midst of his imprisonment, in the midst of all the challenges that the church in Colossae is, is facing, that there is real community, real people engaging in real community in the first century world. And that community is created by the person of Jesus. Let's read these words together now. Um, May the Lord bless uh, the reading of his word. uh, Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances that is Paul's imprisonment, and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. 
Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So often we just think of the ancient world of the church back then as sort of these you know, saint-like figures who were just uh, kind of almost didn't really walk anywhere. They sort of just drifted along. You know, and these, like these, these characters that, are, that aren't very real. And we think of the churches, we can even romanticize them as being, they, just, they were so godly, so perfect, so amazing, and they were all literally saints. You know, as we, as we look at these, uh, these various figures, as we'll discover that these are very flawed people, very broken people. And yet God is using them. He's growing them. He's, he's overcoming all manner of obstacles. Let me just walk through these verses together and talk about some of these people. Uh, it, it's very obvious that, that Tychicus is, uh, 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 we don't know much about him other than to say that he is someone who is uh, serving the Colossians. Paul speaks of him in verse 7. He's a dear brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And, he said, and Paul says, I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, this is verse 8, and that he may encourage your hearts. And the language of encouragement has already appeared. It begins in the first few verses of chapter 2, that uh, precise phrase, that your hearts may be encouraged. What exactly does Paul have in mind here? Well, this idea of encouraging, or really the word comforting, is this idea of letting someone know that they really belong. Letting someone know that actually you belong here. I don't know how many of you, you may come into church on Sunday morning and you look around and you think, you know what? If people only knew what I was really like, if people had only known what I've done this week, if people had only, if people actually knew who I was, they would realize that I don't belong here. I doubt too much. I fear too much. I lust too much. I hurt too much. I just don't belong. And these Colossian Christians, many of them were, were Gentiles. Uh, they're coming from, uh, from backgrounds very foreign to Christianity, foreign to the early church. And these Colossians, they didn't know if they belonged. And Paul is saying, I am sending this guy to you precisely so that you will know that you really do belong. That you are a Christian. 
in the midst of all the suffering and all the sorrow and all the hardship and all the doubt and all the messiness, the chaos, the fog, and the friction of life, that you belong. You really are. That's what the word comfort means. It's this idea that indeed you are someone who really is a child of God. In fact, the, the, the word comfort here is the very same word as often translated in John 14 of the Holy Spirit, that he is the comforter. He's the one who comes and assures us that we really are the children of God, that we really do belong to him, that we belong here in the family of God. So again, verse 8, Paul says, I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know our circumstances, but also that he may encourage your hearts. Now look at verse 9. It says, he is coming with Onesimus. Now, if you know, if you, you wouldn't have reason to know this, but, um, but right along with the book of Colossians is a, a, Paul's shortest letter. Okay, it's written to a guy named Philemon. And Philemon is actually a member of the church at Colossae. And Philemon, this may, may rest, um, sort of um, with the rustle, rustle some feathers a little bit, Philemon was a slave owner. And guess who one of his slaves was? Onesimus. And guess, what, guess why Onesimus was with Paul and not with, not with Philemon? Because Onesimus had run away. And understand, in the ancient world, a slave who runs away and is caught, guess what happens to them? Well, whatever the master wants. But likely it's death. Why death? Because you wanted to discourage slaves from ever running away. In fact, it was very common in the ancient world. You had not only, just like in the, there's, there's, there are actually many differences between the slavery of the ancient world and the slavery of the American South. But one of the, the, one of the commonalities is that you actually had um, what you might call bounty hunters or persons who would actually go after, go, their, their, literally their job was to go find slaves. And if you were an escaped slave, rarely would anyone actually give you any sort of shelter, any sort of refuge or hiding place because um, you, could be, you could also be charged with crimes for harboring or hiding someone else's property. It would be like if I were to come across you know, something that belonged to you and I brought it into my house and I kept it and didn't let you find it, it would be the same sort of thing. And so here's this figure, Onesimus, and he's actually going back He's going to go back to the church at Colossae. He's going to go back to his master. And if you read the, book, if you read the letter, to Paul's letter to Philemon, it's an amazing little letter where Paul exhorts Philemon, the, the, the owner, says, look, you need to take this guy back and you need to love him like a, what does he call him here? Verse 9, he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. Yeah, do you see that? Do you see what's going on here? See, inside the body of Christ, the, the labels of the world are not holding. The labels of the world are giving way. In fact, just turn back to Colossians chapter 3. This is so awesome. Look in Colossians chapter 3. It's in uh, verse 11. Such powerful words. I, lo I love these words of Paul. Again, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. It says this. It's so, it's so beautiful. He says, here, that is a here he's talking about, is here in the church at Colossae, here in this community, in this family of God, here, there is, no, there is no Gentile or Jew, there is no circumcised or uncircumcised, 
That is to say, there's no, there's no a Jew or Gentile, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised, no, nor barbarian, no Scythian, no slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. So the world is in love with its titles. It's in love with its various labels. And especially today in our world of identity politics, it is all about, you know, you name all the, all the eight or nine things that refer to who you are. And I'm not saying that those are irrelevant. It's not as though you come in, you walk in the doors, and suddenly your cultural heritage, your gender, your identity, all those, all those things are just suddenly wiped away. They're not. But they're relativized. Does that make sense? It's not first and foremost who you are. Who you are first and foremost is a servant of the Lord Jesus. You are a brother or sister in the Lord. And that's exactly what's happening here. Verse 9, he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. I've titled this sermon, A Community Like No Other, because it was in the ancient world, masters and slaves, especially in this sort of circumstance, where one had fled and was now being brought back, that didn't happen, okay? It just didn't happen. It was a community where you had people all across the social scale, up and down, uh, up and down, right and left. They were all getting together in ways that the world had never seen before, all because of the person of Jesus, all because they realized that in him they had a, a unity, an identity, a destiny that overcame, that overshadowed that relativized all other identities that the world would give them, rich or poor, male, female, Jew, Gentile. It mentions here in verse 11, um, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. The Scythians were, um, they were known as a, as a very backward, um, backward and uh, uncivilized people. It would be like calling someone today a redneck or more in Missouri, they call them Hoosiers. Is that the word to use, Hoosier? Right? And I just learned this word, I don't know, a couple years ago. I was, I was, someone mentioned Hoosiers, and I thought they were kind of like Indiana Hoosiers, but that's, that's different. But it's like a redneck. It would be like someone who's very uncultured, backwater. And here in the church of Colossae, we're seeing people from all backgrounds come together and unite as the one people of God. In verse 9, he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. He belongs to you guys. He's one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Verse 10, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings. So Paul is in prison. He's not alone in prison. He's there. He's got someone serving with him, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, this is crazy. Just flip to the left for a second in your Bibles. Go to the, go to the, to the uh, book of Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 15. Actually, if you want to use your pew Bible, it's on page 950 of your pew Bible. Uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 36. So I'm sorry, it's on page 951, uh, verse 36. Paul and Barnabas have been sent uh, by the, uh, the church to, uh, to, uh, to, on their a mission, a, a mission journey or journey of, of reaching out and planting churches. And uh, they actually have a disagreement. Let's look at this. This is messy. Verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and, and visit the believers uh, in all the towns where, where we preach the word uh, of the Lord and see how they are doing. Verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called 
Mark. Huh. With them. Verse 38, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because they had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers and to the grace of the Lord. Now here's this, this, here are these two missionary pillars Paul and Barnabas, and they get into this big argument, and they can't agree, and the argument is about this guy named John, also called Mark. And this disagreement is so sharp that they part ways. And it's one of those brutal things about, about Christian communities when there's division, when there's conflict, especially among leaders. And I tell you, it's just so common. In fact, it's, it, is a, it is a pandemic in the church, how poorly church leaders get along. It's one of the great encouragements that Sarah and I have had over the last three and a half years to know that your, your church leadership, I can say this with full sincerity and integrity, that your church leaders are united. That's probably the greatest thing, the most encouraging thing to about Good Shepherd in the last three and a half years is the way that your session especially has been able to have real, uh, what's the word, knock down, pound on the table, conversation, discussion, really working things through in very healthy ways so that there's real hard-won, hard-fought-for unity. There's no rubber stamping. There's no politeness. There's no avoiding of 800-pound gorillas in the room. We talk about things, work them through, pray together, and make decisions, disagreeing at times, but then locking arms and moving forward. And that is a definite sign of the work of the Holy Spirit in a church. But division is a very real thing. And we see here that the person, the, the, sort of the, the occasion for the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas was this guy, Mark. And look here, back to chapter, go back to the Colossians 4. We see it right here. It says in verse, in verse uh, 10, as my, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Listen to this, what's happened? They've been reconciled. Isn't that amazing? Paul is actually working once again with Mark. There's been real reconciliation. There's been conflict. There's been disagreement. There's been falling out. And yet that wasn't the end of the story. That these Christian leaders actually were able to work it out. But we see that if you want to turn to the right real quickly, go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter, two, chapter um, 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4. My apologies. We see this. Uh, chapter 4, verse 11. It's on page uh, 1029 of the UPU Bible. Uh, again, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Paul, again, is writing from prison, and he says, Only Luke is with me. We're going to talk about Luke here in a second. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. And bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Isn't that awesome? It's this beautiful thing that, that there was this huge falling out. And yet later, there's this, there's this restoration, there's this reconciliation, so that Mark actually says, says, get Mark and bring him here. I need him. He's useful. And then finally, this guy Mark, is there a book of the Bible that has the name Mark? That's pretty cool. 
the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. There you go. There he is right there. It's amazing to see the connections that are happening. And here's this, this little community of faith, fledgling community of faith, and yet God is at work overcoming all manner of obstacles. Uh, so verse 10, it says, you have, is this parenthetical phrase, is you have received instructions about him that is about Mark. If he comes to you, welcome him. So clearly Paul is endorsing. He's saying, once we were at odds, once we, we were apart, but now I want you to know I have given instructions specifically about him. Receive him, welcome him. Uh, receive his teaching. We continue in verse 11. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. So these persons right here, Aristarchus, Mark, uh, Jesus, who is called Justice, at the present moment of Paul's ministry, they were the only Jews who were with him. So many of the Jews of Paul's, they actually rejected the Messiah, they rejected Jesus. And Paul himself, who, you know, Paul used to be that person. He used to be the one who was persecuting Christians. And yet, uh, by, by, through, the, through uh, the appearance of Jesus on the Damascus Road, Paul is converted. And, and it shows, says, and they have proved to be a comfort to me. And again, just as, just as Paul says, I'm sending these guys to you to be a comfort to you, these three people... These three people, Mark, Aristarchus, and, and Jesus, who is called Justice, all three of them are Jews and are a comfort to Paul in the sense that when Paul converted to Christianity, he lost everything. All his connections, everything was all gone. His family connections, his, his religious connections, everything was gone. And he was excluded, he was shunned, he was beaten. And here are these three Jews who say, hey, you, you belong, Paul. Despite all you've done, your former persecution of the people of God, despite your Jewish heritage, all of these things, you belong. You really belong. They have proven a comfort to me. See, even Paul, the apostle, needed comfort. He needed encouragement. Your church leaders need encouragement. Over the next coming weeks, as my family and I are in sabbatical, your church leaders are going to need encouragement. Let them know that you're praying for them. Come up to them and ask them. I'm going to give a few instructions a little later about the sabbatical. But I want to encourage you to really support, proactively support and pray for your leaders. They need your encouragement. They need your comfort. Verse 12, Apophras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you, that you may be stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Paul there is referring back to a number of different statements that he's made in the Colossian letter, longing that they would know God's will and, and, uh, and follow it. First, and it's this beautiful thing of this prayer report where he's saying this guy Apophras, who's mentioned earlier in chapter 1 and verse 7, Apophras is, is someone who is truly, deeply concerned for the Colossians. And you know that because of prayer. When we really care about people, when we really love them, we pray for them. My mom, my dad are always praying for me and Sarah, like all the time, because they love us. They love us and they care about us. Uh, verse 13, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Verse 14, our dear friend Luke, the doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Now, just let me just mention here very briefly our dear friend Luke, verse 14. As Paul has just mentioned that these first three characters, Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, who's called Justice, that they are the, Jew, the only Jews 
that he's working with at present among the kingdom of God, what does it say about the other persons that he's working with? They're all Gentiles. And one of those Gentiles is this verse 14, our friend Luke, the doctor. So here's a guy, Luke, he's a physician, He's also a missionary. You can read about him in, uh, through, uh, through it. He, he accompanies Paul throughout portions of Acts. If you read the book of Acts, every once in a while it uses we. Suddenly this we appears. And it's like, we? Who's we? And the we, of course, is Luke, who wrote both Luke and Acts. Again, there's the second author of a gospel writer here, mentioned in this, this final section. Luke, the doctor, the guy who wrote Luke and Acts, the majority of the New Testament. Okay? And what's so amazing about it is that Luke, the author of, uh, of the gospel and Acts, is a Gentile. Isn't that crazy? This early in the church, you have a Gentiles who are leading the church and writing the New Testament. It's an amazing thing to think about. Now, in verse 15, it gets even better. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters of Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. What are we seeing here? Here's a woman who has opened her home, probably a wealthy patron, likely a widow, who has opened her home to host the church. Here's hospitality. is a classic sign of early Christian hospitality. A woman, a widow, a Gentile, used some surrendering her wealth, surrendering her home, to say the church can meet here. That's what the early churches did. They were church homes. Um, they were... They were um, uh, house churches, excuse me, house churches, and met in these little places, in these little, uh, often like an atrium or an entryway area, and they would wor- they would gather. Often they would gather on the Lord's Day early in the morning, or even even often every morning, very early. Slaves and everyone would gather. They would sing. They would they would read scripture, and they would they would have they would have their day. There was no actual Sunday. There was no formal Lord's Day in that sense. The, the Roman Empire didn't even know it existed. And so they would, they would meet outside of normal hours. Verse 16, after this letter has, has been read to you, see to it that you also read it in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received from the Lord. And then finally, verse 18, I, Paul, this may seem strange to you, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. You may think, wait a minute, well, haven't you been writing the whole letter? And the answer is no. In the ancient world, they had what was called an amanuensis, that they had actual secretary. And usually the person writing the, writing the letter would dictate. And so Paul had dictated this entire letter like he did as all his letters. He dictates it to an amanuensis who writes the whole thing. And then at the very end, Paul grabs the, the pen, if you will, and says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. And he does that as a way of personalizing, showing its authenticity. You can recognize his handwriting. In fact, elsewhere, it's in 2 Thessalonians 3.17, he actually says, I write this in my own hands, so you know that this is me. This is for real. This is really me. And then he says, remember my chains. Grace be with you. So no, listen, the early church was full of conflict, disagreement, people from all shaped backgrounds, econom- economically, ethnically, all coming together in the, to be a community like no other. And brothers and sisters, I hope that as, that is, that is, as leadership, Jim, Don, and I, we long for Good Shepherd to be exactly that, to really welcome one another. And I ask, as I go, as I go on sabbatical, I just want you to know how grateful I am for the sabbatical, but also how confident I am in all of you. 
I truly believe that the next, what is it, 10, 11 weeks, however long it is, is going to be a time of growth, a time of intimacy, a time of mutual service for all of you. And I'm just really confident. I'm, I'm so grateful for, um, I mean, you've got two high-powered uh, pastor professors who will be bringing the word for the next, uh, next two, two, two or three months. I mean, Dan Doriani has not only, be, only been to me, uh, well, at one time he was a professor of mine, and now he's uh, very much a friend and a mentor. He's just a great guy. And Bob, I did Bob's heart for missions. You know, Bob is not some ivory tower armchair theologian. He is a guy, ask him about his mission ex- missions experience. I mean, the guy, I want to say it's Uganda, but he's given his life to, to missions in a way that's just amazing. Most guys, when they take their sabbaticals or their time off, to, off from teaching, they go into a library. Bob goes on the mission field. So just ask them, know that both of these guys, yes, they are men, they are men of letters, but they are men of, of, of a heart for the people of God. So, so, so please bless Bob and Dan uh, while they're here. Uh, I'm going to ask you to do four things, right? Just listen to these four things, and I'll, I'll, I'll pray for us. First, I'm going to ask you that once during the sabbatical that you invite someone over to your home or invite them out. Maybe it's after church. After church hey, let's go to lunch. It's at least one other, uh, one other family or single person in the church just once during the sabbatical. Invite someone over, invite someone out. Second, I want to ask you to volunteer for one thing that you don't want to do. <laughs> Figure out what it is. And I don't know, maybe it's nursery, maybe it's, I don't know what it is. Figure it out. But volunteer for that one thing that you really don't want to do. Got it? So the first thing is invite someone over, invite someone out. Second, Volunteer for one thing that you don't want to do. Third, ask if people need help. Ask Jim or Don over here if they need help with something in the session. Ask Nancy. She's going to be continuing to do the daily, the daily uh, routine, the daily uh, uh, procedures of the life of the church. Ask Brad uh, or Brad Rausch or, or Mark Cox if they need help with something. Be proactive about asking if people need help. So invite someone over. Volunteer for something you don't want to do. Ask if, if people need help. And fourth, has, the fourth one has two parts. Show up. Show up on Sundays. And show up on time on Sundays. Listen, I think I've told you this before, but my dad, my dad came to faith when he was in college. And one of the ways that, that uh, God, one of the means or agents that God used in his life was a friend. My dad loved to go skiing. They lived in, he lived in Seattle, Washington, and went to college at the University of Washington. And they would go skiing on the weekends, right? You know, just you would do the typical college life, study, study all week, party all weekend. And uh, my dad went one, one weekend, went skiing with a friend of his. And the, the Saturday was over, and, uh, and they were going to spend the next day skiing, he thought. But his friend said, no, I need, I need to get back home. I need to go back because I, I, I have to go to church tomorrow. And my dad thought that was the strangest thing. Like, what is it that you got to do? And then the guy wanted to go to church. And it left this impression in my dad of like, this is something that you take seriously, that you want, that you value, that there's a day of skiing versus worshiping the Lord. And it really prompted him to begin, what am I missing? What is this guy, what is he doing that I don't know about? 
What is he experiencing? What is he tasting? What is he, what is, what is he getting from this that he's willing to li- literally just you know, actually leave the mountains, beautiful area, this beautiful time, to leave it and actually go home early? And it got him seriously thinking about things of faith. And it prompted real conversations as they were driving home. Listen, when you prioritize Sunday worship, it is a very loud thing to do. It's loud for your children. It's loud for your friends and family. When you have family coming to visit this summer, and they're visiting, and they're, they're, they're not religious, or they're not into church anymore, and you say, hey, we're so glad you're here. I'm so glad you can stay with us. But understand, Sunday morning, we're going to be going to church. We'd love to have you come. But no expectations, but we're going to church because we need it. It's, it's something that is meaningful to us. and so it's, it's our faith that's important to us. So I'm going to ask you, please, show up, and show up on time. You know, it left a huge impression on me as a kid when I realized my parents always made it to church early, and, they, and it was important. Listen, Bruce, be quiet, sit here, listen to the minister. This is important. We're going to sing, we're going to open our Bibles. This is what we do. This is our life. This is our hope. This is central to what it means to be the Clark family. I got it? Invite someone out, or invite them over. Volunteer for one thing that you don't want to do. Ask if people need help. And show up and show up on time. Let me, let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for every single person here. Lord, I thank you for the leadership. I thank you for Don and Jim. I thank you for Ron as well and the years of faithfulness that he, with which he has served in this church. Lord, I, I thank you for these leaders. Lord, I thank you for the way that you have shaped them and are growing them. The way that, you, that they are so willing to silence, I'm assuming to, to, uh, to serve uh, so quietly. Uh, often just uh, behind the scenes. Father, I thank you for our, our amazing deacons, Lord, the, the Herculean effort that Brad and Mark are putting forward, Lord, uh, each, and every, each and every Sunday. Lord, I thank you for guys like Ron Barge who are serving, uh, Father, so faithfully as our treasure. Lord, I thank you for everyone here, Lord, the ways that people serve. Lord, I think of Bill and Judy Sutton serving the Lord's Supper. Lord, I think of the ways that, um, Lord, that you are using people in this church in and outside of this church, Father, whether it's um, Feed My People or various ministries of, of tutoring. Lord, I thank you, Father, for these men and women, young and old. And Father, I pray that over the weeks to come that they would grow so deeply through the book of Romans as Bob and Dan, Dan lead them through this wonderful letter. Father, I pray that, that this church would grow as a family in the weeks to come. I pray that there would be joy, that there would be love, that there would be mutual uh, encouragement, that there would be faith, oh Lord, and that you would, you would continue to grow this church and revitalize her. Lord, we love you and we pray all of these things in Jesus' Jesus' mighty and merciful name. Amen.